and then that's that's like the first rule of investing because a lot of people think investing is about like oh you know let me look at this and then see how much it's going to go up over time i'm like that's backwards because you don't know how much time you got mm-hmm. investing is about buying assets at a reduced value and price because the price and the profit is made at the purchase not at the sale because right. you want to own it forever and so when you're looking over time, you don't know how much time you have as far as whether living or business or investing. You don't know what your timeline is, but you want your capital to be making money as soon as you purchase something. You don't want to like you want it to be made at at that initial initial buy. You want to purchase at a reduced market, like any price is less than market value. Well, in stocks, it may be less than book value. It may be less than its, you know, price to earnings ratio. It's, I mean, it just may be less than its, you know, 52 year price or whatever. In real estate, it may be low, be below its um, after repair value or compared to its comps. You know, that's, that's when the prices uh, and the deals are really made and the value is there because if you buy at a reduced rate, you can instantly sell it at market rates and make a profit. Like within days. So then you're not worrying about, you know, if it goes up because you already got profit in your pocket. You can go take that to a bank and be like, hey, that's that's a marketable asset that has equity already in it that you can borrow against, that you can leverage into other things. And you haven't even had to wait on any appreciation in that asset because you bought it at such a deep discount. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. Still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper, I've been chasing greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later, in the conversation. We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments, and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit trying to learn some game xavier gonna talk about it no diana speak that shit that everybody voucher ain't no more excuses valid get up off the couch and get up in your bag to your bank account need an accountant today's episode is sponsored by b jones b is a successful businessman and serial entrepreneur from memphis tennessee after being inspired to break into the real estate industry while working as a security guard, B has been able to completely change his life and many of the lives around him through his various business ventures, one of those being a 200K club. B really takes great pride in helping others. And if you're in need of advice, whether it be business or real estate related, you can contact B at thebjones.com. This episode is sponsored by Park Hill Capital Ventures. Park Hill Capital is a multi-purpose investment firm specializing in real estate, founded by Deanna Kent and Xavier Miller. 
We offer several different services to educate and mentor you on how to successfully invest in real estate, no matter what your experience level is. Additionally, if you're looking for your next investment property, we can also help with that. Our team has access to deals all across the country, and we connect you with your next deal in no time. And if you have a property that you would like to sell regardless of the situation, we can work with you to get your property sold ASAP. To learn more about our services or to get started, go to www.parkhillcapitalventures.com. Welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier. Sitting on here with my co-host, D. Hey, y'all. And today, we have another another dope episode. Like, I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really hyped for this episode because I think this... I think, in my opinion, I think this is going to be our most important episode we've ever done. And we got a lot of, I feel like we got a lot of amazing episodes, but I think at the times we're in right now, this is a super, super important episode. And on today's episode, we have Adrian. If you guys listen to the podcast, you know him from episode 44, and he's the founder of uh, Growthopedia and an author. So welcome to the show, bro. We, you know, we super excited to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. And so it's good to be back and uh, get to talk with you guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And just yeah, millionaire mindset's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. We 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 had we had to have you back. And just just to uh get right into it, you know, it's a lot going on right now with the uh, coronavirus and just the effects it has on people's livelihood and the economy. Like so much going on, there's so many people confused that don't know what to do, that's lost. And like I want to say, like you, for people that don't know, that don't follow Adrian, he's been on like. The, the the ball for this since like January from what from from what I've been seeing like he's been saying everything that's that's gonna happen was was so if you if you don't follow him please follow him just to stay in the loop and to stay informed because he he's been on the money with it and I want to ask you like what like how do you how were you able to forecast these things what was you saying to know like this was this was about to happen and so. In general, uh, my mindset is to kind of be kind of forward looking because you really never know what's going to happen in life. And so just being in the moment is good and learning a lot from the past, but also having that kind of preparation insurance and looking forward, looking around you, you know, having that basic situational awareness, uh, not just in your own life, but in your personal life and your business as well, and then looking within your own community and then across the globe. And so from dealing with a lot of people and living abroad and having people that I deal with uh, around the world uh, in my consulting business and with Growthopedia, I kind of have to be on top of things because a lot of people come to me for uh, insights and advice and, you know, strategizing for their business and looking to know, okay, what's going to be the, the next best thing and where are trends headed? And so the reason why I noticed the, the virus is because I have uh, business partners and people that I work with in China on the ground there and had planned to go in December that fell apart due to visa issues. Uh, however, talking to some colleagues, uh, they were letting me know about you know this weird strain of uh, the flu or pneumonia that people were seeing and i was kind of surprised when i dug in deeper to see how uh, certain suppliers and manufacturers that i had dealt with uh, that had locations there were starting to shift their uh, employee habits 
And being the kind of risk averse person that I am, if your only supply chain is coming from China and there's going to be a possible risk to that supply chain and that risk is going to, you know, blow up across the world. Maybe this is something that people need to pay attention to. I mean, even Apple tried to make iPhones in the U S but they couldn't find the small screws and the tooling needed to, to do that. Uh, China was the only per, uh, country that was able to do that and consider how many people rely on, China for a lot of their uh, inputs as far as the supply chain is concerned, I, I definitely saw it as a, a major risk. And uh, sometimes I hope I'm wrong, but in this case, uh, it actually ended up being uh, a lot more than I initially thought it would be. So, mm. yeah, you, you was uh, very right on the, you was right <laughs> on the money with this. And, uh, I want to ask you, cause you, uh, well, no, let, let me, let me first go here for the people, for the people, Cause it's a lot of people, like I said before we started the show, it's a lot of people that are still uninformed. They don't really know what's going on. They're not fully grasping it. For the and for them, they're saying, "Well, this is just a flu. What's the big deal? It's not going to be no big issue." Like, what what is your response to people that still have that mentality towards this virus? Well, I don't want to say that those people are are wrong in their thinking. It's just that if you can afford to think that way, you should have some basic preparations in place just in case you're wrong. And mm. so my assumption that I talk about in my book, Business Growth Secrets, is that I assume that I'm wrong. And so what's the worst case scenario that could happen in my life and in my business if I'm wrong? And so that's my basic assumption. However, some people, you know, they want to go through life assuming that they're right and being proved wrong there all the time. And I think that's a much larger risk <laughs> so I think having some basic preparations and assuming like the sometimes the worst case scenario or maybe if things don't go exactly as planned and being prepared for that, uh, I think it's a good thing. And it's not even uh, about being fearful that, hey, you may get this or, you know, maybe the, the forecast and predictions that some people have may be wrong. Uh, I think the biggest risk right now is to the healthcare system. And mm. so because uh, while this is all going on, you really don't want to get sick because people are still, you know, having heart attacks, having babies, you know, uh, th these basic things are still happening. And with that bottleneck that is healthcare in the U.S., I think uh, ignoring that um, link in the chain uh, exposes a lot of people's uh, weakness when they want to just assume that it's something that's light mm -hmm. because now if you you know break a, a finger and you want to go get that reset or you know a child has chicken pox which right. you know all these normal life occurrences are still happening do you want to go to the hospital and risk being in a hot zone of an infection so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that's the way i look at it yeah I was just going to say, so on the um, lines of the healthcare system, I feel like with everything that's been going on, it's exposed a lot of major flaws in the American healthcare system. So from, from your um, perspective, how do you think everything that's going on is going to reshape the healthcare system in the years to come? Mm. I mean, I, I think it's going to reshape it drastically because we know that we are almost fatally unprepared in our major urban areas. Mm. And I mean, our reliance on uh, 
outside vendors and suppliers for even the most basic of antibiotics, um, testing equipment for diseases, um, personal protection equipment for healthcare workers. You know, these these basic things just aren't in place in a way that they should be in what, you know, is being considered the world's greatest economy. And so I think putting that focus on the monetary aspects, whereas, you know, livelihoods and the health of your people matter as well in a country. So I think things are definitely going to be redone and reshaped and, you know, the world even six months from now or a year from now is not going to look the same as it does right now. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Let, uh, let me ask you this. So yesterday I was, uh, I went out to the uh, grocery store and for really like the past, what would you say? Like two, three weeks, three weeks, we've been like quarantine. We ain't really been going out much. So I ain't really been seeing like what's been going on like firsthand on the streets. So yesterday when I went out, I seen a lot of people out and I'm thinking to myself, like, like, where are these people going? Like, do people, so so I want to ask you, like, do you think people not taking it as serious because the media is kind of, like, desensitizing it? Or do you think the media is over, like, going too far with making it seem like it's too dangerous? What do you think, like, the as far as the role in the media? As far as media, they've kind of told the line um, and have been wrong a lot. Over, over the past and so I think you're right in saying that people have been desensitized because people have cried wolf so many times mm-hmm. and you know those situations didn't end up panning out and then there's been times when you know information just ended up being completely false and so people don't really know what to believe and then on the other hand on an individual level I think people underestimate their possible risk uh, mm. to being infected as well. Uh, however, considering a lot of people that are getting infected do have to be uh, intubated, intubated, meaning that they have to go on some type of ventilation, um, you know, that risk I think is pretty high as well as far as overestimating it, like your susceptibility to getting the disease. So, I mean, I don't say that there's no reason to not, you know, live your life, but I think some basic, you know, a mask can help minimize that risk. Um, You know, social distancing, I think, has been working. I mean, it worked in Singapore, uh, Japan, South Korea, places where their growth rates were never were even close to what we're seeing in Italy or even in the U.S., so hmm. having those basic protections in place. Okay. I mean, those countries, they, they wear masks, you know, even if they have a cold. <laughs> I mean, in general, they have lower infection rates than even for, like, flu and things like that than we would see here in the U.S. And uh, so something I wanted to ask you about, I seen you talk about a while ago, and I feel like this was, this was a really important concept, and it was dope to me. And you said that you talked about the Kubler and Ross stages. I'm like, well, I, I wanted you to uh, speak on that. Just for the people that's not aware of what that is. And so uh, the Kubler-Ross stages are basically stages that people go through from denial through to acceptance. And with those stages, 
let's see, I'm, uh, I can't recall them right now. Give me a second. Uh, no, it starts at denial. And then it goes through to, through to uh, anger. And then from anger, it goes to bargaining where you're trying to like reason with the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they go through depression and then finally uh, acceptance of their new reality. And mm -hmm. so I was saying that it's good in general to sprint through that phase, those phases as soon as possible, because whether you're wrong or right, the fact is that you are facing a new reality. And so the, the first four stages aren't really productive stages. And so it prevents you from trying to look at, look for solutions or being creative uh, to better your situation. But the acceptance phase is a productive uh, phase of the uh, Kubler-Ross model because it gets you to actually put actions mm -hmm. behind making your new reality better. So what stage do you think we at as a, as a whole right now? Uh, in America, I think we're right on the line of the anger and, and uh, bargaining stage because even online, a lot of people are expressing their anger. I mean, we, people have been in the house for a week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and at this point, you know, they, they, they ready to, you know, just risk it all. You know, I'll, I'll be all right. You know? no, see <laughs> yeah, they don't even want to go outside normally, but now everybody want to be outside, mm -hmm. like go to the grocery store. They don't cook, you know, <laughs> <laughs> everybody want to do everything. They, it's like, well, I guess if this is going to be it, I might as well cook, learn how to cook something. But, you know, I, I think that's, that's where we are right now in that bargaining uh, and uh, anger phase, because, mm -hmm. I know one thing, people are definitely angry and I think they're lashing out at people. I mean, I see it online. Yeah. Uh, and that bargaining phase, like, you know, man, maybe I can do something better and maybe yeah. this might actually be happening. So I think it's going to probably be about two to three weeks before we get to, you know, that, that, that depression phase where everybody's just like, like, you know, just that, that, that overall sadness, I'd say, but I, that's where we are right now, but yeah. if you can do that as fast as possible. I think is very important. So, because I mean, you got to move on. You can't really do nothing about it. Like, what, you know, we can't do anything faster. I mean, all the cases that we're seeing right now are from, you know, a few days to you know a few weeks ago. So, I mean, clearly it's not like a, a set timeline on how things are going to go going forward. So, it's just really wait and see. And I've I've been definitely witnessing like the anger online as well, especially for people that's like landlords and business. Oh, <laughs> I <saw> that. <laughs> I'm like, I was, I was I was shocked and appalled. Yeah, and I, I was, was just like, wow, like you would think that these people were you know making them eat cat food or something. Right. Like, they just giving you housing. Yeah, right. You know, and, it, and and I was surprised that so many people were were angry at landlords. I, I don't think I've. I mean, I know for a fact that I've never felt angry at a, a landlord. You know, right. I don't. I don't even know where it stems from, but in general, I think that's that's part of that that anger phase. Yeah, because I think people uh, psychologically 
they're being squeezed because they may not have income. They, you know, they may have poor spending habits, uh, no savings. You know, the average American doesn't have a thousand dollars saved up. And, and uh, just just going back to the uh, landlord thing for a quick second, I think I think one of the what's causing a misunderstanding is like a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people pro- like probably struggling with money right now, and they from their point of view is like, all right, I still have to pay this person, and they're not doing anything. That's what I seen someone say. They was like. They're not doing no work. This is pretty much thievery. And I'm like, wait, what did, what did y'all miss at the part where they own the property where they can do that? I feel like people don't understand what ownership is, really. Yeah, I'm, uh, there's <laughs> definitely a, a education gap as, from the, the tenant perspective. Well, I don't want to say that from for everyone. Right. But um, in, in some communities, I'd say that there is definitely an education gap because even when looking at the, the cost of ownership, they don't factor in uh, maintenance costs. They don't right. factor in, you know, uh, principal interest, home insurance. Uh, they don't pr- factor in taxes, which, you know, taxes can be massive in, in different areas. And I mean, that that's still a risk because you still got to get tenants in there. They're not factoring right. you know, occupancy rates where you may, you, you may have somebody in there and it may take you six to nine months to get them evicted in thousands of dollars, you know. But yes, <laughs> I um I overall think like the public or not the public, the consumer world and the business world needs to get a better understanding of one another in some way, like combine the two. I feel like once we do that, like people can really be in position to be prepared for situations like this and not be so dependent on having that one stream of income. And it's been like just from being online, like you see so many people voicing their opinions and like. Like, for example, I've seen someone on a clothing shop's um, comments calling the company distasteful for releasing their new line during everything that's going on. But what you don't understand is, you know, this is a business. They They still got bills. Yeah, they still got bills just like you got bills. And it's just like, especially from Twitter, you're just seeing like, it's this disconnect between the two. It's either one or the other. But for us to really thrive, I feel like we need to have that integration of the two. That's a real good point. Uh-huh. Yeah, not, I definitely agree with that point. And I mean, that's really one of the the main goals of, of Growthopedia is providing that education because, I mean, the informational gap is, is definitely there mm-hmm. and people want to learn, uh, you know, more about, you know, the personal finance, you know, business, commerce, you know, logistics, supply chains, you know, just all, the entire stack of, of what it takes to, to start and grow a business. And I think that would prevent a lot of these misunderstandings and uh, just really just wrong perspectives when the reality is that nothing is really preventing people from moving from that that employee uh, role into more of having their control over their own income stream. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really diversifying your risk, you know. They tell you don't put all your eggs in one basket and only having income from one income source is, you know, making that single point of failure. At any point, they somebody can walk in and say, hey, I don't really like you. I don't want you to work here anymore. But you still have problems to solve because those bills are going to keep coming in every single day, you know. And so you don't want a single point that, that, that source of income. And I mean, even if you don't even like business, just having some type of alternative way to generate revenue for yourself. Um, even if it's not online, if you have a hobby, 
Uh, if you own some investments that generate dividends that pay you, like it really doesn't matter what it is. It's just something. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's key because I mean, our, our grandparents, that's, you know, there wasn't a job for everybody, <laughs> you know, All right. everybody in the in communities were entrepreneurs. I mean, we see it a lot in the immigrant community where mm-hmm. you know, they come in, they don't, they're not even citizens, but a lot of them massively are business owners. So especially in the, you know, services. So, yeah. Mm. And, and speaking of, speaking of business owners, I want to go down this lane because I know there are a lot of business owners that's affected by what's going on right now. They losing out on money and they probably don't know what to do. So in these times right now, what can people that are business owners do so they can still be on the up and up, generate money or do whatever to help them in, this, in these times right now? Well, right now, I think it'd be a good time to focus on any type of uh, operational debt that you may have in your business. I mean, a lot of things, whether you have a small business or medium-sized business, they just don't get done because you're so busy busy focusing on growing your business. But, you know, going through your finances and see, like, where what are you spending money on on a day-to-day? Uh, what's your web presence? How does your, your CRM look? Like when was the last time you sent out an email to your past contacts and saw how they were doing, you know, these basic things that you may not do on a daily basis or even on a quarterly basis, but always need to be done. So having that cleanup, because I mean, a lot of people are stuck in the house anyway. So what are you going to do? You know, you might as well use this time to be productive. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there's an online course you want to take or some information that you want to devote, attention and time to, to improve your skill set. So then on the other side of this, you have a new skill that you can apply to growing your business. And then even looking into ways to, to move more into the online space, considering that now more than ever, people are wanting to get more into technology and apply it in their business. So the people are still there. They're going to have, you know, money to spend, you know, the basic uh, fundamental uh, wheels of the economy are still going to be going you know, people are still going to be, you know, buying houses, right. uh, driving cars. They're going to have, uh, you know, have to, they, there's certain things that, they, that are going to have to take place, even if they, you know, uh, on the off chance that we go into some type of uh, recession or depression or something like that, certain basic uh, necessities are still going to be there. You know, people may not be buying that many private jets, but at the same time, mm-hmm. people are going to still want to get from A to B. They're still going to have some basic entertainment that they're going to want to do. They're going to still want to, you know, put clothes on their back, you know, brush your teeth, things like that. So just kind of looking how you can provide services to people in a better way and kind of pivoting your business. And that applies to startups as well. Like if you're looking to grow your business and you haven't really defined what your business is going to be, adapting to this new reality and seeing how you can provide services and products to people that they are going to need and use mm. and on the lines of um you brought up possibly going into a recession or depression. <laughs> <laughs> um, how strong of a possibility do you think it is that we will go into a recession and what are the short-term and long- long-term effects and are we in one right now because i've seen some people that say we're already here well that's it's a complicated it's an easy question with a complicated answer. And that's because recessions and depressions are always defined in hindsight, right? Mm. So a lot of times you don't know 
that you're in a depression until somebody in some part of some organization looks at the data over the past three, six months, nine months, et cetera, and says, oh, yeah, we were in a depression or we were in a recession. And so me, I can't wait that long because I got to run my business today. And so I'd say right now that we are in a recession, probably the deepest recession we've been in um, in modern history. Like I, I mean, as far as 2009 and 2000, 2009 was like the lows of the, the, the global financial crisis. 2001 uh, doesn't even compare to 2008. And 2008 was probably the worst one we, we've seen in modern history. And through those times, I mean, at the time I was running the asset, my, well, my asset management firm and a lot of things that I saw then we're, we're way worse than that now. <laughs> Just to let you know, like it's, it's, it's unprecedented times. I mean, but the good thing is that technology and uh, culture overall, I think is in a much better place than it was then. People are much mm-hmm. more aware and more nimble and ready to adapt than they were back in 2008. And so in some communities, they are already adapting and preparing for if we do go into a recession. And for the average person, uh, a recession or depression just means you may you may experience some type of unemployment um, for a certain period of time. And, you know, there may be a period where you may have to cut back. But there's also... Um, an opportunity to kind of redefine yourself because that gives a lot of people a reset. There'd be more opportunities to put your, any type of loans that you have in forbearance for a longer period of time. Um, I mean, whether it's a mortgage or a car payment or um, student loans, you can delay payments on those, um, kind of build up your set, your savings, start building better uh, personal finance habits, um, actually apply that budget and stick to it on a month to month basis. And so, I mean, really, everybody, for the most part, um, is going to have to adapt in some kind of way. And so, and that's really uh, what happens in uh, recessions and depressions. How long it lasts is really dependent on uh, our individual economies that we create for ourselves. And so, um, it presents a lot more opportunities because prices will come down. Right. So that gives you opportunities that if you you are saving and you know are investing or you're looking to provide some type of services to people, um, people will be willing to work with you more so than they would have been in the past. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask this: so compared to where we are right now and where things might go, do you think do you think things are going to get better from here? Or do you think it's going to, and, I, and I'm not trying to scare people for the people that's listening, but or you think things are going to get worse? I'm, and I'm asking this question just so people can hear this and they can get prepared for if it does potentially get worse than what it is right now. I would say it really depends on the individual. And yeah. I say that because worse and better is all objective. It depends on the person. And so granted, there may be higher unemployment numbers. There may be, you know, the stock market may keep going down further and further. However, you can adapt to these things 
by kind of have some basic protections in place for yourself. Uh, for example, if you know that you, there's a possibility that you're in the industry where you may get laid off, um, that will give you the opportunity to go ahead and get your, up, your resume updated, maybe looking at uh, industries that will be in demand regardless of uh, what the economy is doing. Because, I mean, governments are going to be spending money, uh, whether on the federal and or um, municipal level, state level, et cetera. I mean, certain industries are always going to be around because people are always going to need their services. And then as far as online income generation, there, there's always going to be different remote jobs. Um, just like in 2008 and 2001, uh, people had to get new skill sets, like entire industries fell apart. Like, I mean, 05 and 06, I was doing mortgages and got out before the collapse because I realized that, you know, things were going to change drastically in the mortgage industry because at the time, the mortgage industry was probably the biggest scam running. And so kind of having that foresight is, is key. So then if you do have to change the way that you live, then you can do that because you're already prepared to do that. But then on the off chance that you don't have to change anything, you just keep living your life. Living your life. Mm -hmm. yeah. And something I want to ask you about um, is the new stimulus bill <laughs> they're releasing <laughs> out to the public. And I've been hearing this um, kind of way, of course, to help Americans out, but to get the economy back um, pumping um, as it was before. But what are your thoughts on that? And do you think it'll really be effective in the grand scheme of things? I think the stimulus bill is, is good in theory. A lot of times the biggest problem with uh, these type of stimulus bills is that they are massive in the amount of money and debt that they add, add per average U.S. citizen, you know, average worker, et cetera. And so it's between, for per average worker, it's about $10,000 per citizen, um, it ends up being a, a little bit less than that. But the problem is that people don't really see the money, you know? And so if it's $10,000 of debt added and then you're giving people a, a, a one-time $1,200 check, that $1,200 check is most likely going to their housing costs um, if they're still paying their, their mortgage or their rent. However, there are other costs other than just housing. Mm. And so my question starts to become, what about all those other expenses that people may have? And then there's a massive amount of money being, um, the total stimulus package is going to be about $6 trillion. $2 trillion is going to go to you know, the people in some form or fashion. And the rest is going to go towards the Fed and the Treasury where they can use the money to, to bail out companies and also um, have, there's going to be some things in there for like gig workers and things like mm -hmm. that. It is going to allow the, the Fed and the Treasury to, to bail out some companies and also uh, backstop some banks, uh, add liquidity to um, repo markets and uh, possibly even allow them to purchase assets outright on the open market as far as uh, investment grade um, corporate securities and also maybe even stocks down the road 
But again, the stock market isn't the economy uh, and neither are corporations. And I mean, if corporations aren't going to, if corporations aren't making money because people aren't spending money, then they're not going to be as likely to hire people. And so it's a virtuous cycle. Me personally, I mean, it, it would be a very, I guess uh, socialist leaning pro- uh, possibility, but if you gave people more money, the people would most likely be more likely to spend it towards whether starting businesses or actually some type of consumption, which would I think would help a lot more businesses uh, more than if I you just gave the, the business the money because the business can't just make more products or provide more services if people aren't buying them. Mm. Yeah. And I, uh, from what I've been seeing, I've been seeing like a regarding the stimulus package, I've been seeing a lot of people debate about it was like a big debate yesterday where people were saying, like, start a business with your stimulus package. And a lot of people are like, what? Start a business. We got real bills, real expenses. We can't afford that. And like what I pretty much took from this whole like uh, situation and effects on the virus is to pretty much like I, and I spoke on this yesterday is pretty much always live like well below your means. Like, so when situations happen, you can always be prepared when you're living well below your means, you know what I mean? Because you, you're not going to have to compromise your lifestyle or none of that because you've already been living like you on a cutback, you know what I mean? So that's what I've, and that's what we've been doing for a while. And it's just, it's like, this situation really proving me that, me right, because I'm only 26. I, I haven't experienced a recession or nothing like that. Last time, yeah, I was 13, 14. My parents, we lost our home. So... I've always in my mind, it's been in my mind, like, okay, times like this going to happen and I'm going to make sure I'm ready. So I always wanted to make sure I was living below my means just for situations like this. And it's proved me because it's proved me to be right because we didn't have to compromise anything. We still living. Like, I'm not trying to brag or boast or nothing, but we still in a, a very good situation and still doing good in these, in these times. So I just yeah. want to say that really quick. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're definitely right. And the good thing about living within your means is that you always have more than enough cushion. So then if there is some type of uh, rainstorm in your life, you don't really have to change anything that much. You don't have to, you know, immediately go and sell the car. Right. You don't have to go turn your dog in, like, because you ain't got <laughs> enough money to feed them. You know, you don't want to be in those ty- type of tight situations where you can't just live your normal life because you were just consuming so much. Cause that's what it really just comes down to. To me, I'm at the point where I'm waiting on them to make something that's worth me buying. Cause I don't see mm. nothing out there worth it. So, cause I mean, half the stuff is not quality, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it don't bring me, I don't get no enjoyment out of it that much. So, I mean, living within your means, like, I'm I'm good. Like, I mean, it don't matter where I go and where, I, like, I can live there right now. Yep. Like, I mean, I'm looking at Italy, like, I wonder what the real estate like there, because, I mean, I could probably get some vacation home now, real cheap. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's probably not where I want to do right now. But, I mean, I imagine people there are in a tough situation because they got hospital bills. And some people on the other side may say, oh, you want to, why are you trying to take advantage of these people? I was like, you got to understand that people are out here hurting. If I'm willing to buy assets from people that don't have money to, to feed themselves, that's a win-win situation. I'm not kicking people out on the street. Like, you know, that's, you can help people and make money at the same time. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. 
Mm. And I mean, I think that's where a lot of the, the, the arguments in the whole landlord argument are lost as well. Mm. Is that they don't understand that somebody's letting them live in their house. Like, <laughs> You're right. they, exactly. they don't have to do that. You know? Exactly. And, and I'm going I'm to play devil's advocate because when I say that people, people, this is what people say to me. Well, if they didn't live in your house, you wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage or you wouldn't be able to make money. What do you say to when people say like, because I say, how do you know I have a mortgage? Or how do you know all these people have a mortgage in the first place? That that, that makes a large assumption. Like, I I don't, I don't believe in debt. Mm, Yeah, we spoke on this before. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it at all. Like, I don't have to sell nothing because don't nobody, ain't nobody in my pockets. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's another thing as far as business and personal life is concerned is like being aware of how leveraged you are. Because, right. I mean, we could talk about a lot of people that may have bought a lot of short-term rentals or signed a lot of short-term rental uh, lease agreements via lease arbitrage. Yep. And uh, I think a lot of people in those situations are in a tight situation right, right. now uh, because, I mean, I track the, the hotel occupancy and short-term rental market. And that's, that's definitely changed. And even, you know, doing the cash out refinances, which was very uh, precarious as far as the pace that they were going, considering how rates were going. And I mean, prices don't go up forever and being fully leveraged on all your assets is a, is a risky situation because as we're seeing, the whole world can change in less than three months. I mean, the people that stayed nimble and were prepared are in a in a good situation. Whereas, you know, sadly some people didn't believe in that anything bad could happen that because everything was going so well. But just because things were going well in the past doesn't mean things are gonna go well in the future. Mm. And being being prepared for those rainy days, I think is a very fundamental situation that people need to inhabit that they need to like encouraging themselves and build up. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's so that's so real. Cause like you just said, it could happen so fast. Like nobody expect nobody last year, everybody was expecting twenty twenty, like people say the cliche, twenty twenty is my year. Nobody expected any of this to go like to happen and happen this fast. Like and I know from from when like when we seen like for originally like when you originally start talking about it, I really started paying attention to it. And uh I talked about this before, like we liquidated a large a part of our uh stock stock investments and we just liquidate took it like we're just gonna hold on to it and see if we could do make some other moves with it or we might put it back into the market we'll see but i just want to take it out and then after that boom it tanks so crazy i'm like man I'm yeah <laughs> i mean and I, I personally prefer down markets because yeah. uh, previously 2008 was my best uh asset management year uh well no it was actually like my third at this point but I like down markets because prices always take the stairs up and they take the elevator down. Mm-hmm. And so because uh, fear is a greater motivator than greed. And so mm-hmm. people are more likely to sell a lot quicker than they are to buy. Yep. And so, but then fast moving markets, I mean, if you follow volatility, a volatility spike uh, massively and in those spikes, you can definitely make a, a, a good amount of money. And, and almost, this is not investment advice, I right? Right. <laughs> and so this is this is just my my personal for entertainment only. <laughs> <laughs> right for, for entertainment purposes only. 
But like when you you spoke on leverage, and I feel like that's another important, super important aspect of this because like I spoke I spoke on this on Twitter the other day. Like we met last last summer, we met somebody in LA, and he had thirteen Airbnbs, and uh, we stayed at one of them. And I was talking to him because at the time I was thinking about getting into Airbnbs, and I still might do it one day. Who knows? But and he was saying how he had thirteen of them. He was saying like the rent is all from twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars a month. He's telling me how easy it was and this and that. And I'm just listening to him I'm like, wow, okay. And we stayed there for two days and we paid him $500. And it wasn't the weekend. So in my mind, I'm like, and as soon as we left, it was booked for like a week. So in my mind, I'm like, man, this guy making good money. And then this happened. And I know people really not traveling now. And this, so I'm thinking, wow. So he still has to pay that rent every month. He could be up to $30,000, $40,000 in rent every month where he ain't got nobody yeah. staying in these places. So I'm like, I I'm going to tell you now, people are walking away from those leases, leaving mm. the, uh, the owners of the properties on the hook. On the hook. Mm-hmm. And yep. so, I mean, it's, it's been an interesting situation um, up and down the market. And so uh, one, one lesson I do want to share is that if you prepare for the bad times during good times and live below your means, yep. when they're there are bad times. There's going to be so many discounts yep. on everything. The, the world goes on sale and to lenders and any type of banks or other businesses that you may be looking to partner with or merge with or acquire. I mean, being in a good economic situation with having some capital, uh, solid revenue in those situations, that's when a lot of massive companies are, are grown and built you know, because then you can really get in and and benefit from any type of upside because your downside risk is already low because everything is nearing the bottom as far as prices is concerned. Mm. And so all you need is probably about three to five of those in life and you'll be all right. Yeah, and I, I'm so glad you spoke on that because like over the years, people always ask me stuff like, why you don't got? Why you ain't got a, like a a newer kind of car? Because like I always say, I'm still driving a Nissan from 2013. So they like, why you don't got a new car? Why you don't go get like a house or something like that? And like my point of view, and I feel like people wasn't understanding. I'm like, yo, times right now are really good. Like they're not gonna always be like this. And if I keep living like this, by the time times get bad, I'll have capital to play and do things to make me even way more money. So that's how I was thinking. I feel like they wasn't seeing that part. They just, you know what I'm saying? When, when you're so young, when you're so young, you don't really like see like it, like a potential recessions or depressions coming along. So I mean, my yeah. mind, that's because like I said, my parents been through it. That's always been in my head. So it's always like, I'm, I got to be ready when it happens to me because I don't want <laughs> that to ever happen to me. So that's, that's I just want to say that for people that's listening. The reason why you want to stack up that capital and live with like, your means like you said, Adrian, when those bad times come, you got money to play ball. And that's when you can really build wealth or do whatever goes you got. Yeah. A lot of and that me. boils down to mentality as well. Because, you know, I just looking on Twitter, you see so many people with this negative perspective of everything and they're waiting on waiting to get a handout, waiting for somebody to save them. And, you know, they don't wanna sit down, make a plan and think about how they can make things happen for themselves and spot the opportunities that are about to come within the next few months. So mm-hmm. like everything you've been saying this whole conversation, I think it really boils down to mentality. 
Oh, yeah, it, it definitely does. And I mean, just so you guys know, I mean, on average, there's a, a downturn in the economy and the stock markets probably about every 10 to 15 years. And so me, mm. I'll spend those first, like those first couple of, you know, nine, 10 years stacking. And if I see things are getting kind of out of hand, I'll wait because I mean, I've seen three now. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> mm. I'll, I'll wait because I know that, you know, in these times there's going to be so many more opportunities as far as, uh, personal and business growth. I mean, you can look across the landscape now. I mean, there's no telling how far and how cheap tuitions are going to be for college educations now that basically everybody is, you know, University of Phoenix. And I mean, <laughs> when it comes to, you know, any type of licensing that you may have had to go into a class for, like, I'm, I'm, I'm haggling with people now and negotiating everything. Everything's negotiable. Because when you have capital, that's that's influence and power. Like, so everything's the ghost. If it's if you call it an asset, and I don't think it's an asset. Like, I was going to make an offer on some some property that I was looking to control, and uh, I was like, you know what, this whole this this uh, disease situation. Let me let me wait on that for a second. Mm. And so I'm, I'm gonna wait probably another two three months and see if I can't get these six acres. <laughs> do something with it for probably, you know, a discount of 40, 50%. Because, I mean, the worst they can say to me is no. Right. And so, and I can wait. I can right. wait years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just yeah. wait people out. And that's yeah. the thing is the whole goal with any type of in life or business, your career is survival. Because mm. if you can outlast everybody else, you're going to be a success because most people quit. And so, I mean, whether it's in businesses, you know, most businesses fail within the first five years. If you can last 10 years, you already win it. That's right. That's real. And, and damn, that's, that's so real. And like, speaking on that, the, the property you said, that's, uh, we kind of, we, we in a similar position too. We are in this property right now. I ain't going to speak on it too much, but we are in this property. It's still kind of super, it's kind of overpriced, but we going to wait a couple months it's just a, to see. It's, 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 it's changing. Like yeah. I'm, I'm tagging prices right now. Like, I mean, uh, you, you guys know me last time we talked, I mean, I only like real estate like that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Look, the reason why I like real estate because I, I didn't like the numbers. The numbers weren't adding up for me. Mm-hmm. And so there was more opportunity in other places. Mm. But I mean, getting assets at a very deep discount, that, that's yeah. a totally different situation. And I mean, it hasn't even been a year since we last talked. And that's how quickly things can change. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, home values, land values, like even cars. Don't go to a dealership now and say you want to, don't even tell them you want to pay cash. You could probably get a car for probably 20% below what it's priced at. You know why? Because they're not moving. Right. They're not going to move for months. Number one, they're dealing with cars that are being repossessed. Used market prices are, you know, competing with new car prices. So, Every, everything's negotiable right now that's so that's that, that's even so funny about that though because literally just last night i was uh i was i was going to i was going to the store and then before i left i left some i left something back in the uh house so i had to come back in and i was like you know what d we uh the car we want we might be able to we might we might be able to go get that really soon i'm like just because i know it's at a discount like i could we could have got it a long time ago but why would i buy it at the at the price they said that compared to 
to a price that I wanted it. And right. You know what I mean? Right. Like we and might. Then, and then that's that's like the first rule of investing because a lot of people think investing is about like, oh, you know, let me look at this and then see how much it's going to go up over time. I'm like, that's backwards because you don't know how much time you got. Mm-hmm. Investing is about buying assets at a reduced value and price because the price and the profit is made at the purchase, not at the sale. Because right. you want to own it forever. Wow. That's a, I think that's a concept that, that people probably don't really grasp. And I'm glad you said that because that's real deep how you just, especially you're saying you make the money at the buy, not the sale. And some people might hear that and they be like, they might say like, hmm, like what do you, what do you mean by that? That's, that's confusing. Like, do you mind just expounding on that a little bit? And so, when you're looking over time, you don't know how much time you have as far as whether living or business or investing. You don't know what your timeline is, but you want your capital to be making money as soon as you purchase something. You don't want to like you want it to be made at at that initial initial buy. You want to purchase at a reduced market, like any price is less than market value. Well, in stocks, it may be less than book value. It may be less than its, you know, price to earnings ratio. It's, I mean, it just may be less than its, you know, 52-year price or whatever. In real estate, it may be low, be below its um, after repair value or compared to its comps. You know, that's, that's when the prices uh, and the deals are really made and the value is there because if you buy at a reduced rate, you can instantly sell it at market rates and make a profit. Yep. Like within days, so that you're not worrying about you know if it goes up because you already got profit in your pocket. You yep. can go take that to a bank and be like, "Hey, that's mar- that's a marketable asset that has equity already in it that you can borrow against, that you can leverage into other things, and you haven't even had to wait on any appreciation in that asset because you bought it at a, such a deep discount." Wow, that's. <laughs> And uh, something that you something that you talk about often, and I man, and, and I love this topic, and I it's probably because I'm prior military, and it's something that we talked about a lot in the in the military. But I think this topic it applies to everybody, military or not. But I just know military talk about it more than anybody, and that's OPSEC. And I feel like that's so important because people ex, people expose their plans and stuff they're doing all the time, and they don't even understand the importance or probably don't even know what OPSEC is. And for those who don't know, OPSEC is operational security. So just for people that's not aware, and they, even if they're civilians, just explain how important that is and how that could be beneficial to anybody. I think it's important to have that um, from both a personal and business standpoint because it gives you the ability to kind of be ahead of the curve. So, because what happens, especially with the the internet and the way business is, is that people may see one person doing something and because they are doing it, they may want to do the same thing. And so it leads to markets being saturated um, unnecessarily. So to the point where you, because you shared your entire plans with everybody else, you eliminated your entire profit. Right. I mean, a perfect example is uh, drop shipping or even Airbnb uh, arbitrage. You know, markets become saturated. Uh, the timeline to generate revenue for yourself 
and profitability decreases because everybody's doing the same thing because you wanted to sell a course about it. You know, um, and, and that kind of eliminates almost the whole purpose of creating a business because you, you eliminated your entire uh, revenue model. Mm. So, and then even from a security standpoint, you know, broadcasting uh, favorite places to eat and visit and go and things like that. I think it's good not to let anyone know what your general habits and patterns are because you never know if there's bad actors observing you uh, looking to, 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 for their opportunity to, you know, put, put your, your life or safety at risk. You don't ever want to be in a situation where you have to uh, defend yourself uh, legally or anything like that, where their life may be at risk. So it's just better to not put your personal property, your family, um, your business, uh, any of that at, at risk. Mm. Because yeah. you never know. I mean, hackers, I mean, somebody be, could be trying to steal information from you in a whole nother country, steal all your ideas and plans for your entire business for the next five years simply because you wanted to, you know, get some clout on the internet. Mm. And I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of upside to, to sharing and broadcasting your your plans i mean me personally you know people only know what i i tell them so <laughs> <laughs> like that's and that's that's by design so mm, yeah and you something you said before you said never compromise offset because of ego or instant gratification and i'm like man that's a bar right there i don't even know if people people <laughs> could fairly appreciate that yeah i mean because i mean that's the the it's it's not it's not worth it Cause I mean, me, I, I like I like my my personal spaces. I like my ideas. I mean, people spend a, you know thousands of dollars getting trademarks and patents and stuff like that. You know, if you tell everybody every single thing, what is there to protect? Mm-hmm. You know. Yep, that's that's heavy. Yeah, you go. Something I wanted to ask you. I've seen you tweeting about, but you were talking about um, the opportunity to reshape the education system. And just me personally, I feel like the education system here in America is flawed because we don't talk about the essential um, living um, ideas that we all should know about as far as handling finances and taxes and things like that. So could you just dive in more as to why there's opportunities to reshape the education system during these times? Well, this time is unique because I don't think there's ever been uh, any type of event in U.S. history where schools K through 12 and universities were all out simultaneously for uh, projected. Some places aren't going back to school this year. You know, uh, some um, universities they're graduating a week early online. You know, K through 12s they're not going back to school as of right now. So I think this gives people uh, an opportunity to kind of step back and reevaluate, you know, what their child is learning, you know, what type of education can I provide? What kind of gaps can I fill in? You know, instead of, I mean, I don't want to say that it's, it's outsourcing that aspect, but there was a time where people did go to schools within their community with people that, you know, there, there wasn't a, a whole, hey, let's bust people across town just so we can make things look more diverse on paper. 
versus, hey, let me put these people that actually live in the same neighborhood in the school with the kids that they play with when they go home, you know. I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but I mean, technology is at a point now where the problems that they were trying to solve then no longer exist because the world is flat. You know, you want to teach your kid Harvard curriculums online, you can do that. So you can get textbooks, PDFs, everything all on the internet. And uh, I want to, I want to talk about uh, Growthopedia for the people that's that's not familiar with it or don't know what it is. Do you mind going into that? And so Growthopedia is a living encyclopedia, and uh, the goal of the platform is to provide a resource where people can uh, learn different things about uh, personal growth and business growth, uh, whether it's uh, real estate. We focus on that aspect. As far as we provide a Chrome extension for Zillow, and I created that a couple of, I guess, about a month ago. Uh, there's a marketplace for hosting uh, real estate investment deals where if you have a deal, you can post it and find deals on there as well. Um, I'm building a, a growth-focused search engine that's going to have a lot of different growth resources. And really, if people have questions, it's where they can go to get those questions answered, right? If you want to know more about drop shipping, then you can go and learn that or investing in real estate or mobile homes, or eventually I do want to add a financial aspect. If you want to learn more about uh, option trading or learning how to protect your uh, existing portfolio using options and, you know, stocks, Forex, uh, mm-hmm. those different things, just having a, a centralized growth focused platform. And, you know, kind of giving people tips on how they can, you know, grow their career and different things like that. So just giving people that resource where they can not only find information, but they can also find tools. Because my biggest problem that I've had in the past is when you go and type something in Google, I feel like Google don't hear anything that you're saying. They just give you whatever they want to show you. It's not even relevant to what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And you know the ads get in the way, and I'm just like, I don't care about the news, you know. <laughs> just give me exactly what I'm looking for, and so I'm just taking a lot of the different resources that I've used over the years and built a platform out of that. That's dope. That's dope. And I want to talk about real estate. Now, this is I feel like this is a major a major topic, especially right now, commercial, commercial and residential. So, what do you think? How how because I don't think it's really been affected as as bad as it will. Well, we already seen some commercial buildings like uh, not paying rent and stuff like that. You see that going on with the uh, cheese was was it cheesecake factory? Cheese factory. Yeah, yeah, they said they wasn't gonna be able to uh, pay rent for April first. So what do, what do, what is your uh, outlook on all of that? I think a lot of uh, lease rates are going to come down. Uh, we're going to see uh, a major shift in basically the the entire commercial real estate model, because right now it does place a lot of power in uh, the, the, the property owners. And I think this gives a lot of people that maybe have been in malls or uh, shopping centers an opportunity to uh, renegotiate their lease rates. And so, you know, we may see the price per square footage come down uh, across the nation. I mean, I almost think we would have to, and I think one of the biggest things that was preventing that previously is that there was no event that was causing it. 
And so the, the, the way that commercial real estate works is that uh, they can kind of, a lot of different industries can lie with numbers. However, if they don't actually get somebody in a space that's leased at a lower rate, the rates don't come down. Even if market rates are below where that building is valued at. So say it's $200 a square foot. If they never put somebody in that building at $200 a square foot, meanwhile, places in the same zip code with the same class building are being leased at 100, then that building is still gonna be valued on the books at $200 a square foot as far as lending and collateral is concerned. Mm. So however, when those collateral rates come down, then you gotta revalue all the assets and bonds and investments that were tied to those rates. And so we're going to see commercial real estate uh, contract as well as residential, because you got to think about how many different residential houses were owned by private equity firms, um, investment banks, et cetera, as rent only units. And so now these properties, because they may not be getting rents, in those class C neighborhoods where it's working class and everybody was living paycheck to paycheck, but then they got 3000 of them spread across the U S I mean, how many of people not paying rent for a certain period of time does it take before the value in the neighborhood goes down and their portfolio goes down and all the loans that they got based on that portfolio have to be revalued. revalued. So, because that that's the leverage because what people don't get about the leverage is that it works in two directions. And so a perfect example is there was a, um, a mortgage REIT. Uh, so that's a mortgage real estate investment trust. And this mortgage real estate investment trust as of December, 2019 was generating $300 million a quarter from mortgage interest. However, they were leveraged three times the value of their mortgage portfolio. They ended up collapsing earlier this week and they had $9.5 billion in debt obligations that they owed to other financial institutions. And so even though they were making all of that money every quarter, because they were so leveraged three to one, that made them collapse because it came to a point where all those mortgages that they had on their books, they weren't going to be able to pay based on the money that they borrowed, even though they had that money coming in because all that, that interest came down, if they if even you know, 10, 15% of a portfolio that's that large can't pay their mortgage, they still owe money to the investors that they that they sold bonds to. Mm. And so if they can't pay that, then they collapse. Mm, that's see, stuff like that, it makes me like this whole this whole thing is it it's not me- real. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you now, it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's so crazy, and it's like like uh, man, man, we spoke on this before, like, cause it may it makes me think like, cause I talk to people all the time. They'll be like, you know, I got very little money. You know, I'm looking, I'm trying to invest, or this, this, and that, this and that. So it's like, hmm, it's like, is that the is that the best idea? Because do you want to get your money caught? Put a, caught up into a lot of things that you can't necessarily pull out immediately just in case the things go south because you already don't have a lot of capital on hand. So that's been kind of, it's been making me rethink a lot of things. I mean, I, 
um, we talked about this before, man, being, being liquid is, is more powerful than anything else. It's like having investments and assets that, you know, where you can get liquid within a short period of time, it makes you nimble, you know, cause I mean, uh, we can, we can move down the ladder, right? So let's, let's look at commercial real estate. That's a, that's an asset that's, you know, reasonably liquid. However, it, it may take you seven, eight months to sell a, a, a shopping center, yep. you know, and then with a house, you know, a house can sit on the market. If it's not a fire sale, you're trying to sell it at market rates. You know, it may take you, you know, 30, maybe 60 days to sell a house on average. But I mean, then it comes down to like stocks, you know, you can get out of stocks. All you got to wait for is the three-day settlement yep. for stocks and then the cash is there. And then there's, you know, basic CDs, uh, bank accounts, et cetera. And so uh, having a laddered system where you understand the risk of the different investments as far as their liquidity mm. lets you know how quickly you can move if things turn lower. And so, and then having some type of cushion that is very liquid will give you more flexibility if things do turn sour. Mm. And so having that liquidity does, it ma- it definitely matters. Yeah, and it so, definitely does. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. Like this whole thing, like this, this whole thing showed me from it having being liquid is crucial. Because you, you in that situation, you can make decisions that a lot of people can't make because they're not liquid. As far as uh, real estate is concerned, residential specifically, I wouldn't say that it's a a. a large time to be making any massive decisions on right. the real estate front. I mean, I'm, I would say it's kind of a, a wait and see type situation because depending on how all of this goes, I could see a scenario where, you know, six, seven months from now, you know, they've instituted, you know, a lot of these different plans and there's some type of reasonable treatment for the disease and things are pretty much back to normal, even though some people may still be getting the disease at the same time. But I mean, as long as hospitals and healthcare uh, workers and everybody have some type of efficient treatment, then that bottleneck is removed because that's a lot of time the reason why um, people are even dying from the disease is because the, the treatment uh, regimen may not be that strong and they may be uh, older of age or they may have existing conditions, uh, whether it be like uh, heart disease, um, obesity, things like that. Um, being in advanced age, they may have been previously smokers or vapors or lived in a very polluted area, things that would affect the lungs and make them more sensitive to uh, respiratory infections, whether upper or lower respiratory infections. And so there just may be a time when we may go on like as if life was normal, but the disease may still be here. Mm. And in that situation, you, you just, just, you just got to stay nimble at this point, I would say. Yeah. And I, I remember, I remember what I want to ask you. So I, I see uh, you spoke on having cash, having cash on hand. I want to ask you 
why is that important for the people that listen to this? Like we talked about being liquid, but having actual cash, why is that important to have on hand in times like this? I would say it's important because you don't know what the demand of the system is going to be. And so uh, previously in 2008, or even in disaster situations like hurricanes, et cetera, you just don't know if like, if the power is going to go out, you don't know like what time of night you may have to go to the hospital and ATM may be out of cash. You just don't know what type of situation that you're going to be in where you may need cash and that cash can always be put back into the bank, but you don't know if ATM is going to be down. You don't know if you're going to need a tow truck on the road and they only take cash. Uh, You just don't know what situation you're going to be in. And so, you know, you may go to the grocery store and the demand on their network may be to to the point where they don't even take cards. And so you just really never know the situation that you may be in. And so not having to go to the bank may eliminate that step because, you know, right now I'll, I'll let you know banks in my area that aren't keeping cash, like they they stay out of cash in the ATMs, not on purpose, just, just because the demand is just like that. Mm-hmm. Grocery stores, they aren't putting cash in their machines to give you cash back. Like the only store as of right now, um, about two weeks ago was Walmart. And I mean, some places have just decided not to even take cash. Now that's, and that's the other side of the scenario where some places don't even take cash either, but having cash, I think it's still money. And so in an emergency situation, like say you have to, you know, go somewhere or go visit someone or something like that. You don't have to go to the bank or anything like that. You just have some cash on hand where you don't have to depend on, you know, using a bank. And then also certain banks have withdrawal limits. Yep. So, I mean, I have to call and have very stern discussions with people all the time about the, the <laughs> limits that they place on these cards nowadays. It's like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, <laughs> it's like, what it, like, I don't care if it is like, we, we, this is to protect you from fraud. It's like, I don't care if it is fraud. Let them take the money. Then you can give it to me back. <laughs> like I, when I want to get my money out the bank, I want to be able to get my money out the bank. No, seriously. Mm-hmm. seriously. I, I, uh, I think this was about a week ago. I went to the bank to deposit some money, and uh, the bank teller he was like a like in his forties. He and he looked at real like he was real like nervous. I could tell like by his tone and his facial expressions. And he was saying when I was depositing the money, he was like, "Man, you're the first person since last week." to come here and deposit the money. He's like, everybody been coming and taking out all their money. He's like, it's getting real scary. I'm like, really? Yeah, I mean, if you would have talked to me before you deposited that money, I probably would have told you not to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I should have. I should have reached out to you. Because when he he said that, I was just looking like, should I? (laughs) Right, I was looking at him like, okay. So I I know um, I've I've gotten a few stories from different people around the, the U.S., I know it in, in Manhattan, they, they started limiting withdrawals to $3,000 per day. So, I mean, understand that it, in a tight situation, they will limit the amount of money you can take out of your own bank account. Mm-hmm. You will have no recourse as far as, you know, there will be no say-so because the people on the ground don't make decisions. Right. They get their decisions from somebody else. And then banks only keep a certain amount of cash on hand anyway. Mm-hmm. And so noted, you know, depending on the amount that you want to withdraw, you're going to make a phone call 
probably a couple of days, if not a week or so in advance to make those kind of withdrawals. And so definitely be aware of that because I think a lot of people have no idea. No idea. Um, yeah. So. yeah, I was, was going to say, but before we wrap up, I had, I just got two things I want to, to go over with, with it, the, the virus still being so like widely spread it out and stuff like that. Do you think it's, uh, it's necessary for to go on to like a, a nationwide mandatory shutdown? And if, and do you think it's going to get to that point? Cause like I said, it's still so many people like I see still moving around like crazy. And I'm like, how do you expect this to slow down if everybody's still out here? So I'll, I'll put it this way. It may get to the point where we may need a nationwide shutdown, but I don't think that they would ever institute a nationwide shutdown yep. just because of the message that it would send uh, as far as that slippery slope towards those uh, authoritarian and totalitarian governments. While it may be suggested and may, we may have general guidelines that may come down on the federal level, again, I still think that they're leaving it to the states, mostly because it gives them that, um, that freedom to make those decisions on a state level versus on a federal level. And the reality is that people still going to have the choice to be out. You know, they can go out there and risk their they lives. And, you know, people was eating Tide Pods. Like, yeah, right. they're going to let people do what they want to do. <laughs> so, right. You're right about that. And uh, the, last, the last thing I want to ask you was, so like, we seen the numbers come out the other day that they said, what they said, 3 million? Three million people unemployed, but that, but a lot of people have been saying like that's probably not even the true number. It's probably closer to over five million, over six million. Yes, yeah, it's not the real numbers. <laughs> I'll let you know it's not the real numbers simply because uh, state governments can only process so many applications per day, mm. and so there's a massive lag in the numbers reported and the numbers that are actually trying to call in. And so, and it's the same thing with the, the cases of the, the disease as well. It's, it, there's, there's just a, a lag because, as I've said before, the, any numbers from any government shouldn't be trusted <laughs> because they rely on people to, number one, tell the truth when they're reporting the numbers, and, and number two, broadcast that information accurately to, to everyone. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, if you look at how even unemployment and CPI and things like that are even calculated, uh, it would definitely expose a lot of um, the ways people can massage numbers to make them look differently than reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, cause I, I read something saying how during the great depression, the unemployment got to 24.9% and they were saying how, I, I forgot what it said to be, I'm kind of paraphrasing at this point, but they said at, at what's going on right now, it may get up to 30%. And I was like, Whoa. That's 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 crazy. So yeah, I mean, even the unemployment number itself. Uh, this is the definition according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. It's defined as people that are actively looking for a job. So, for example, if you're you're unemployed, but you're of an employ of an age where you could be employed, but you stop looking, they no longer consider you unemployed. And so then that's considered like you're the shadowing of unemployment of people that could be working but aren't. And so these people still exist. They still have, you know, lives and income that they would want to earn, but they're not 
considered unemployed for official purposes. So, okay. And this, yeah, this, this is uh, my last question. What would you say to, because I've, I've already spoken to a few people that lost their jobs already. And I know you have too. So what would you say to those people that's in that situ- situations where they lost their jobs, they probably don't have as much capital. They probably like scrambling mentally, like just don't know what to do. And I, I've seen you speak about pretty much uh, using your, this is the perfect time to use your community. And I feel like that's extremely powerful at this point. But what would you say to those people? I would say definitely inform your community and let them know that, you know, whether you're about to lose your job and, you know, there's a layoff date uh, coming up. Um, if you've already lost your job, I mean, let, let your, your let your people know. I mean, th- these are people that uh, care about you. You know, they're in your life for a reason and probably, you know, seen you through various situations in your life is nothing to really get your your ego involved right. in simply because that poses more risk because not people not knowing that you are going through a tough situation may put you at even more risk because then you got to internalize and deal with everything by yourself um, there are a lot of resources out there uh, unemployment is a resource i would look inside your home and see if there's anything that you can sell to generate some quick cash in anticipation of not having an income stream. Um, there's so many different videos on YouTube, YouTube University, as far as how to make a different, uh, an online uh, income, not even doing uh, any type of e-commerce or anything like that, that would cost you to have to spend additional money. And so, but would, would definitely cost you time. Uh, affiliate marketing, is a resource uh, mm. that you know either Amazon does it, a lot of uh, Robinhood does it, a lot of different banks and credit unions and stuff do it. Uh, can generate you some additional income. Um, there's a there's a lot of different ways where you can generate uh, money. You know, um, DoorDash. I mean, Amazon is absolutely swamped right now to the point where both sending shipments to them and getting them out, like they're looking for couriers like crazy. Um, DoorDash, Instacart, Postmates, Uber, Lyft. I mean, everybody's, I mean, people are at home. So, I mean, they, they still need things done, but at the same time, they they may not even want to leave the house. Yeah. So I say definitely reach out to your community. I wrote a, a blog post on Growthopedia on um, how to handle suddenly being unemployed. In that blog post, I include a lot of resources as far as uh, budgeting, personal finance. Uh, I talk about Mint, mm-hmm. personal capital, um, every dollar budgeting apps. I talk about different ways to make money online as far as uh, just affiliate marketing and other ways. And then I also include a lot of government resources as well for uh, unemployment uh, from the state, how to file for unemployment just a lot of different resources in that article. And so really just to kind of help people to handle both the financial and the uh, psychological aspects of, you know, keeping yourself motivated, having a plan that's daily, setting a routine so you're not just waking up, binge watching stuff on Netflix and YouTube all day, mm-hmm. having some type of goal that you're trying to accomplish every day that kind of keeps you moving forward kind of keeps you out of, you know, getting into too much of a dark place as far as adapting to that new situation of being unemployed. So. Mm. 
Yeah, that's my joint. You, you like it one time. And one last question. Um, <laughs> I see your face. You've been looking like I want to say something. <laughs> no, but um, I know like our stay-at-home order lifts on like April 7th. And yeah. I know lately in the news, they've been saying Donald Trump want every, wants everything to go back to normal um, by Easter. Do you think that's a realistic timeline for things to kind of start bouncing back? Or do you think it'll be longer than that? I'd say it's a real realistic timeline in the sense that they may say y'all can go back to work as far as whether the, where the disease is going to be. I mean, hospitals are still swamped. A lot of states are still reporting a lot of cases. So both, both can happen at the same time. They could tell people, hey, you got to go back to work. Meanwhile, you know, the C-suite people may still be working from home. You may not even see them in the office. Like, I mean, then three months from now, the stock market may be at all-time highs while real estates are, you know, in the gutter. So all of these events can happen all at once. So it's really just kind of figuring out how you can handle the different possibilities. I mean, again, looking at those expenses, uh, being nimble, consider what your options are uh, going forward, even looking into like some remote work mm. and things like that. Because I mean, a lot of remote work companies are hiring right now. I mean, People need help desk. Perfect example, Zoom. They have a help desk that's, you know, they're looking for people. I don't know if you guys use Zapier, but they had their entire company is remote. So a lot of companies that are, you know, massive uh, company startups, uh, Fortune 500s, are moving more towards remote for a lot of their staff. So mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of opportunities out there because companies are still hiring. Mm, yeah, because I, 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 I've seen you speak on multiple times about how we really won't know how many people really got this virus till like weeks from now because all the St. Patrick's Day and spring yeah. break, everybody was out kicking it and partying. And so the, um, the, the date window that I'm looking at right now, uh, let's see here, is from April 10th to May 8th is when we will really start seeing the impact of everybody being out from uh, St. Patrick's Day and uh, spring break uh, that week. So so that time period is crucial. You think that time period is going to be be able to decide what happened next on how bad it'll get or how much better it'll get? That's when we'll start seeing the impact as far as, um, as they say, flattening the curve and trying to reduce the growth rate. So, I mean, if we don't see anything by, you know, beginning of April, getting into that, that 10th, which is a Friday, a couple of Fridays from now, then we'll know whether we can even consider lifting any type of uh, restrictions because, I mean, I know Russia, they, they just closed their borders. And I think more, some countries are going that way. Countries in Asia are actually opening up. So I know China did ban all foreigners. So you're not even getting into China. It was hard before. It's harder now. And then uh, I know uh, Japan and Singapore, you can, you can go over there um, pretty normally. Their, their growth rate is pretty slow, as well as uh, South Korea. You can go to South Korea. Okay. Okay, yeah. That's, uh, before we wrap up, we just want to say we, we, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on. You gave, you gave a lot of important game. I think people will be able to take and apply to their life. So we just want to say we appreciate you. And before we let you go, do you mind plugging in all your stuff so people can find you, go to PD, or they can follow you, keep keep up, keep being updated with you? Because I would say, if you're not following Adrian on Twitter, please follow him on Twitter ASAP. Yeah, and so um, I'm definitely on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at um, 
A over K, that's capital A, the over O V E R and then K. And that's my the 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 main thing that I plug. I have a, a consulting company, Escape, that focuses on helping businesses grow and scale. And then I have Growthopedia, which is my uh, software as a service uh, educational platform. So, cool. and we do have some uh, about that. I'll be uh, relaunching the mentorship program. And so um, beginning of April, I have a lot of uh, events planned for that yeah. little a, a conference that I'm looking at. You know, I know people are at home <laughs> so hosting a, a, a conference for that event. So, yeah. and that'll be uh, a huge help to a lot of people. I, I think considering that, you know, a lot of people are at home, they have kids that are at home. We have some great people on there. Uh, I know you guys are on there. Yeah. And then we have um, a few uh, fitness trainers, some professional educators for both K through 12 students and for uh, college age students. So some professors, we have some consultants, uh, whether uh, for both digital marketing as well as accountability. And so a lot of great people on that platform that um, I'm looking to grow as part of Growthopedia. So we really want to combine the education with actual individuals who can help guide the people through applying that education. So yeah. man, that, that that's perfect right there. And we just want to say again, we definitely appreciate you coming on. And man, we, we I'm I'm super I'm super glad we got this episode done. Just want to say appreciate you. Uh you're welcome, man. It's good. Thanks for having me on. Definitely, man. We'll be talking soon. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, guys, well, that was another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. And wrapping up, for those who don't know, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Xavier C. Miller. What's your info, And you can follow me on Instagram at Deanna Kent and Twitter at Deanna S. Kent. And that's all we have for you guys. Appreciate y'all for tuning in. Talk to you guys next episode. Peace. Hey, turn me up something. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper I've been Chase of greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later. End the conversation. We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant.